And I think because of my age, it probably was more apparent when I was younger, just because of a double standard that exists. And, you know, it's not just men who have that viewpoint, it's women as well. We have biases, we have experiences. I grew up with my mom being a nurse, and I remember thinking to myself, I want to go into healthcare, but I don't want to be treated like my mother's being treated. I'm Janet Ioli, and you're listening to Power Presence Academy, practical wisdom for leaders. If you're looking for leadership mentoring, advice, or just a dose of inspiration, I've got you covered. Join me as I share leadership tips and lessons of experience from experts and from executives at the top of their game. This is your go-to place for all things leadership. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Let's go. So today's guest is Carrie Cohen. Carrie, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Janet. So Carrie is the Chief Reliability Officer at Pullman Regional Hospital in Washington State. And she has over 30 years of experience in the healthcare field. So Carrie, I'm just going to go right to my first question that I ask everybody who comes on this show, because I think it sets the stage for what we're talking about is if you can talk a little bit about your leadership journey and how did you get to where you are today as the chief reliability officer. And what is that? I thought a lot about this because it's really easy just to put it all into, oh, like a resume format. You know, here's all the bullet points of what I've done. But I really contemplated this question because I think that going back to my childhood is really where my leadership journey started. And maybe that doesn't happen for everyone, but it certainly did for me. I had the greatest parents. I mean, they're still great. They're both alive. They're, they raised me in a way to empower me to know myself and to kind of be in charge of myself. Having folks that really taught me to understand what my values were, stand up for them, and support me in those decisions, whether they were right or wrong, because there were certainly a lot of bobbles along the way. But that set the foundation. Because I think as we think about leaders, Maybe the stereotypical leader comes to mind, you know, the powerful, charismatic person who's not afraid to talk in front of people. We all have different journeys along the way. And so, you know, that started out for me as a child, probably went through school, having the same sort of experience where I had the opportunity to be involved in student body leadership and sports activities, other extracurricular activities. In college, I was a student representative for our physical therapy. I'm a physical therapist, our physical therapy student group at the university level. And then I owned a private practice. And so I had a lot of chance to be able to learn from my mistakes primarily and become a leader. And then for the last 14, 15 years now, I've been here at Pullman Regional Hospital and started out as the director at Summit Therapy. It's, it's a department of the hospital, the rehab department, and have had a tremendous opportunity to learn so many things, to read books, be involved in leadership retreats, to have the opportunity to participate in 
some Washington State Hospital activities in which you were an instructor. I have had an opportunity to get some personal coaching from some external sources, but also to be a coach myself mm-hmm. and to mentor a lot of employees along the way. And so that's that's kind of the journey in a nutshell. The great opportunity for me here moving into this position as Chief Reliability Officer, which I'll tell you about in just a minute, <laughs> has been, you know, this kind of this culmination of everything that I've worked toward in leadership. Now, an organizational level at a real macro level to be able to make a difference in the people who work here in this hospital so that we can make a difference in the community. And that's really how I kind of define this last leadership role that I suspect I'm going to be in. So the chief reliability officer is the person in the hospital who, and now not very many hospitals have chief reliability officers. Typically they'd be chief quality officers. Right. But reliability is over quality. It's over safety. It's kind of the umbrella of what really should be occurring in any any industry. And healthcare is an industry that you want to have repeatable, reliable results every single time. And so that's been kind of the focus of what I've been doing for the last eight months here. There's all these little pieces that come up in your story. And what comes up for me is you know, you talked about where leadership starts, right? Because we always associate it with a role, you know, that, well, they're a leader. And yet it really isn't about a role. It's about who you are and also the nurturing that it takes and that how you had that nurturing and how important it is for us to nurture others as well, you know, as, as a model. Based on where you are now and all this this journey that you've been on, what would you tell yourself when you were starting? If you had the benefit of the wisdom and this experience, what would you tell yourself that was starting out? You know, really spend time to know who you are and understand your own values. Because if you know and understand your values, then you have an opportunity to align yourself with organizations who feel the same way that you do, people who feel the same way that you do. You know, some of that just comes with maturity, I think. But, you know, oftentimes I think people are really allured by the prestige and the title and the money. But if you can really find that sense of congruency with what you define yourself to be, you really have peace and be able to do so much more peace and productivity. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to go home feeling exhausted, like you really haven't aligned with what your mission in life is. Wow, that's that's a really good point about alignment is being aligned because I, I talk to people so often that don't feel aligned in what they're doing. And it really is not only exhausting, but it's also it's not fun. <laughs> and it's you know, and I know it's not all about fun, but you also have to enjoy what you're doing. Are there any unique obstacles or challenges that you felt you faced as a woman leader? Oh, most certainly. And I think because of my age, it probably was more apparent when I was younger, just because of a double standard that exists. And, you know, it's not just men who have that viewpoint, it's women as well. We have biases, we have experiences. I grew up with my mom being a nurse, and I remember thinking to myself, I want to go into healthcare, but I don't want to be treated like my mother's being treated, you know, subjugated by physicians and her role. And it it was just hard for me to watch that, but I really couldn't articulate it as a child. 
So as I'm older, I'm thinking, what profession could I choose in healthcare that wouldn't put me in that position? And so I chose physical therapist, which is an interesting way to think. But I think it's, you know, it's this constant balancing act as a woman. I'm not particularly driven myself by emotion. I'm more driven by logic, which is maybe a little bit easier, but trying to balance that caring and compassionate person that you need to be, but then not being labeled as too emotional versus the cold and calculating person that you might be seen as being if you are a really strong leader. I don't know that men face that as much as women do. I certainly have felt that acutely in my career and it's kind of infuriating, but I also, as I'm older, I'm thinking of it as an opportunity as well, an opportunity to be able to make the changes that I need to make in my own outlook of things, and then to help coach younger women not to be upset when things like that happen. You know, some of the research on women's leadership refers to this concept called the double bind, right, that women Mm -hmm. face, and they still face, right? It's this, this notion of, Either you're too bossy or you're too nice. It's like, you know, how do you come in the middle of that? And women have a little bit of a a stereotype around that, I think. I want to talk about something that comes up a lot when I talk to not only women, but also men. I hear it in stereo with the women that I work with that are women leaders. And it's this notion of overwhelming amounts of self-doubt when they're moving into a leadership role. And there are lots of reasons for that, right? So we could go into that, but we won't today. But we've even coined a term where women, you know, 75% of women experience this notion of what we call the imposter phenomenon, which you also hear has become now this thing that we call the imposter syndrome and we call it all of these different things. When in fact, men experience it as well. Do you have any experience with that? And, you know, if not, what do you have experience with in this realm of self-doubt or anything like that? Because I know we all experience self-doubt. So, Absolutely. So I thought about this question quite a lot. Also, I hadn't been familiar with the term until I you had taught the class that I'd taken a few years ago. And typically it has not been a problem for me. However, in this new role, it has been. And I think because like, it was acceptable for me to be a physical therapist and have a private practice and be a rehab director, but maybe not quite as acceptable societally to be a chief reliability officer. And particularly because this is the first time that our organization has had a role like that. So now here I am in this role. I don't have a roadmap as to what to do. And it has been, there have been some days where I've thought to myself, if they only knew that I had no idea what I'm doing, they'd kick me out of here. And so (laughs) it doesn't overwhelm me, but I have had those thoughts. But then in order to kind of counter that, because I've had people looking up to me, looking to me for things, asking questions, I've said, and pretty easily said, I don't know exactly what I'm doing yet. Can you give me some time to work on this and figure it out? Or we can figure it out together. I don't know that I would have been able to do that 15 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now I can do that and just readily admit it. And people are not even, they're kind of non-pulsed by it. They're just like, oh, okay. That I can admit to being vulnerable and saying, I don't know. I don't know what the answers are, but let's do this together and we'll figure it out. What I 
know for sure is no one has it figured out. <laughs> no one has it figured out. And yet, you know, we're in these roles. And how can we? I mean, the complexity of the world and the complexity of the problems and the things that come at us, it, I mean, it's over our heads. It really is, right? And so we're all navigating things as they come and especially pioneering something new, right? If nobody's done it before. And yet we expect ourselves to have the answers to it and to know how to do these things rather than what you just said, which was so eloquently said, this grace for ourselves and this permission to be transparent and to say, you know, I don't have all the answers, but you know, these leaders, they have to be all knowing and no one is. And so I think it's freeing when you, when you kind of let that go. So thank you for sharing that because I think it is going to be helpful to people listening. We talk a lot when we talk in this podcast or when we talk about stories and leadership journeys, there's this aura that comes over people who are in these roles that of perfection that, okay, you know, everything I do is perfect. I'm successful. And we know that that is no further from the truth, right? There's no such thing as perfection and nobody's perfect and everybody's making mistakes along the way and learning. So would you, or do you have a failure or something? I don't believe in the word failure. Okay. So I would say what you perceived as failure, right? That you learned from and that you'd like to share what you learned from something, a mistake you made perhaps, or something that you did that you wish you hadn't done that really caused you to learn from. Oh, sure. I mean, I I think I have failed spectacularly many times, Hmm. but I try to think of these kinds of opportunities as like opportunity for improvement because if you don't learn the lesson from it, you can't go forward. But there is a theme that I've had throughout my professional career that finally kind of beat me over the head enough times that I'm like, oh, this is my issue. This is what I'm doing. I need to make a change because if I don't, I'm never going to get anywhere. It's after I came here to this organization and I had about 50 people in the department I was in. And ironically, I wanted to do a team building event with this group of people. And it was not long after I started, probably within the first year. So I hadn't built as many relationships with staff as I did after several years. But so I'm thinking, okay, I want to be able to do team building and I know what's best for these people. And so I set it all up didn't consult anyone. I just set it up. And it was a huge failure. About half of the people, they didn't enjoy it. They hated the content. They weren't engaged with it. And finally, I was like, Carrie, what what are you thinking? If I'm going to be doing team building, don't you think I probably should get some input from the team as to what it is they want? And then I spent quite a long time, even after that event, after it failed so badly, kind of being resentful toward that group because I was thinking to myself, well, you know, I did all this for them. I did all this work. And I'm and trying just, to build a team here. Yeah, <laughs> Come on, people. Right. They threw it back in my face. And, right, right, right. But that is the irony of it that you can't build a team. You can't assume that you know what's best for people. And I'm not a very patient person, so I'm just trying to get things done. I had to really step back and take the long view and decide from this point forward, I would try to always include the stakeholders, make sure I heard them, 
whether it's what I wanted to hear or not. I just take my time in setting things up. And I still, that's my tendency to kind of rush it and do that. And I have to stop myself often and say, nah, that's, I need to back up. Yeah. But see, you know, now in hindsight, what a learning that is, right? I mean, yes. it's, and that's what I think we forget sometimes is that from something like that, it causes pause in the future. We're looking towards the future. And sometimes what works now doesn't necessarily work in the future. And as you look at leadership and you look at leadership of the future, do you have any thoughts on what you think is needed and how the future needs of leaders will be different than they are now or even in before? I definitely do. And I think a lot of it maybe comes to our current societal issues that we have going on. You know, there's so much divisiveness right now. There's so much unrest politically and with the economy. And it's affected people. People are suffering. And in order, I think, to move us forward, we have to be leaders who can understand that empathize with it, but try to set, you know, clear expectations with people and give them what they need in order to grow in the best way they can. I think it's going to take all of us slowing down a little bit Mm. because I think we've, you know, that especially during COVID that's been just so hard, everything has sort of come to this grinding halt and we're trying to figure out how to move forward with a group of people who are not the same as they used to be individually and collectively. And so I think, you know, that's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think going forward, all of these things are going to, going back to like certain businesses, you have certain businesses who have these cultures and, and they want to be able to portray themselves as a certain way. And so certain people might fit into that, but all people want to be heard and respected and trusted and if you can do that as a leader, I think then you're going to be able to do whatever you need to do to get your goals, hiring the right people that fit your organization and your culture, divesting yourself of people who don't fit that group and doing it quickly and respectfully are all the things that we're going to need to do going forward. I think we're going to have to concentrate on it because we've got this big workforce shortage right now. How do you get the people and keep the people? You have to listen to the people and honor the people. You know, we always used to label skills, right? It's the hard skills, results orientation, and the soft skills. And I I think there's no such thing as soft skills. It's really now we're turning back and saying, okay, you know, it's people that we're leading. And that is being magnified in terms of, you know, how do you deal with, again, we talked about the complexity. How do you deal with all this complexity and complexity of people? So I'm going to ask you this. I ask everybody this. What's an inspirational quote that you would offer as an inspiration to other leaders? So I read a lot. I read a lot of leadership books, and there's many, many that I can think of. But one that has stuck out in my mind for the last several years, read a book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Mm. And his big quote in there is, it's okay to be discouraged. It's not okay to quit. So, and that's, that's what I've just tried to do. You know, take that in your personal life. There's things that come up that are just, you know, knee bending kinds of things. The same thing in everyday work life and, but give yourself permission to be discouraged and then reset 
and then go forward. Even if you have to change directions, you still want to be moving in a forward direction generally. Don't let it discourage you too much. I love that. That's hard to do too. It's really hard to do. Okay. So I tried to ask you as many questions as possible in this short amount of time, but there's a lot of things I didn't ask you. So I will ask you this. Do you have any other parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share that I didn't ask you that you think would be beneficial for those listening or watching this show today? Well, I think just to men and women out there, whoever is your listening audience, that any one of us is a leader. We're a leader, even if we don't have a title. You're a leader in your family, in your circle of influence, in your, you know, your work environment. And I want people to recognize that and expand upon that as they can. And if you want to be able to learn and grow, do what feels good to you and take the time, set the goals, read and, you know, surround yourself by people who can help ensure your success. And I think then you'll, you'll have a rich life and be able to have many more opportunities at your fingertips than you would have had you just not considered yourself even a viable leader in the first place. I'm inspired. (laughs) Thank you very much, Carrie, for spending time with us today and offering these words of wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Janet. I appreciate the time that you took to invite me on. And uh, I hope that other people get some amount of nugget out of this. Thanks for listening. And always remember this. Every single moment you have a choice in what you say, what you do, and how you make people feel. Pause and make those choices wisely and intentionally because every single moment, those choices are who you become as a leader. See you next time.